Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this big weekend of racing that we've had. Uh, Louise Torres and Richard Uden are joining me in the studio. Guys, how are we doing? Good, thank you. Pretty good. Well, guys, racing season is now fully upon us. We've had our first weekend with all three major series running. Um Three uh, very different, very entertaining races. I, I have to say, I was uh, uh, enjoyed the weekend tremendously. The races were different in different ways, but uh, we had uh, at the end of the day it was uh, Max Verstappen winning in the MLF Formula One. Uh, Alex Palou, first time winner in the IndyCar Series, taking the win at Barber, and uh, Alex Bowman winning at um, in Richmond, punching his ticket. Um, to the uh, playoffs there, kind of kind of stealing a win, uh, if you'll have it. So, uh, but anyway, let's start with Formula One. We'll go through these races chronologically in the orders orders that they that they ended. Um, so, uh, Max Verstappen wins in uh, in Formula One in Imola. Um, Lewis Hamilton second, but the hard fought second. And again, you know, for those folks who like to say that oh, Lewis only wins a lot because of the car. Uh, I, I have to say there was some really fantastic driving on display from uh, young Mr. Hamilton uh, this past weekend. Richard, what did you think about this race from Imola? Indeed, it was a classic, wasn't it? In, in, in more ways than one, it had a classic track with some classic, uh, you know, overtaking moves. And yeah, you know, it's a really, really good race and uh, how, it, how it should be in the uh, on these sort of old, old style uh, circuits and um <laughs> oh good grief sorry about that couldn't find the mute button in time there sorry guys um i'm sure we can edit that well out. well yeah god bless you <laughs> um where were we yes so grand prix at uh in well, fantastic to be back there again second time in in pretty much probably six months i think it was like november when we were there back end of last year and uh you know, a little bit different, a little bit warmer there this year. And, uh, you know, you, you saw what you expected to see in some ways and you saw some some slightly unusual performances and, and things you didn't really expect to see. Um, you know, to start off, unfortunately, Mazepin was doing his uh, ballerina impression and spinning at pretty much every given opportunity, which was 
it's a shame, really. Unfortunately, you know, you, you do worry about the kid. You know, he, he's getting a bit of a reputation now after only being two races in two swamp one career, but he's not really, really not helping himself. Unfortunately. Uh, but he yeah. did finish the race. Uh, the poor kid had a bad reputation before he ever turned a wheel in well, Formula One. Very true. Yeah. And then he has he did done, finish the race, but had late spins. Well, other than that, he hasn't done anything to, to you know, no. redeem him, himself or to say, hey, look, I deserve this seat. But but there's a lot of races left. Of course, right? And, you know, we say that we had other guys spinning Alonso span, Charles Leclerc span in practice there and, and not the front one off. You know, it wasn't easy. And it, it's good to see, you know, you. How good is it to see a driver make a mistake and, and hit a wall? I mean, you don't want to hit a wall, obviously, but you know, look at Snowder and qualifying there, you know, after that great, uh, great race in, uh, in Bahrain where he scored points in his debut, you know, to come back and, uh, you know, pushing it through the uh, top chicane there and just got a little bit of snap oversteer in the middle of the chicane. You overcorrected, you know, and it's very easy to do. Rookie mistake, you know, for sure. And just hits the outside of the wall and cracks his gearbox. You know, makes a real mess of the car. Um, and it, you know, it was great to see. You know, drivers make mistakes and they get punished for them. And you know, on the Sonoda, you know, the great thing was he, you know, you saw the the coverage of him at the end of qualifying. He walked into the garage there. He didn't have his helmet on or anything like that. Like a lot of the drivers do. They sort of try and hide from the press and hide from the media behind the helmet. He didn't have his helmet on. He was carrying it under his arm. Walked into the garage and was like, "Yep, sorry, guys." I, you know, my mistake. Let's let's get the car fixed and go again tomorrow. Really refreshing to see that. You know, really refreshing to see. And uh, I think he's got a really really good attitude there. And he's, you know, and you know, pretty young shoulders. But uh, through qualifying, a little bit of a surprise there. Hamilton got pole, uh, followed by Perez and Verstappen. Uh, both Red Bull drivers say they made you know little mistakes and dropped time in qualifying, and and they they like to think they could have got ahead of. Hamilton, uh, you know, all things being equal without those mistakes. And I'm sure he could ask Hamilton as well. He could say he made a couple of mistakes, which which cost him. But, um, you know, it was a good, tight, close qualifier. I, you know, it, it really is the, you know, such fine margins um, in there. And I, mean, I don't know what you, what you guys thought about it. If, you know, you saw the qualifying, but they, God, they really have to do something about this track limits rule because the number of lap times that were getting knocked off in qualifying due to, track limits violations and yeah i know there's the limit but they've got to do something you, you know i say it's one of these old-fashioned tracks well make you know move the, the outside of the track make it so there's no such thing as track limits make it so that if you do exceed track limits you lose time by dripping dipping a wheel in the gravel you know you're going in the grass having to lift not by you know not losing time by losing your time um, and you know, Lando Norris was the prime example. He had the third fastest time and ended up losing that because he probably exceeded track limits by an inch or two, which cost him hundredth of a second here or there. And instead of starting third, started what fifth or sixth, I think it was maybe even a little bit further back, top 10, but not, not where he probably should have been. But yeah, it, uh, it just it just seems to me like these the track limit rules are you know applied so harshly in qualifying. Yeah, and then, and then guys are all over the place during the race. You know, as long as they don't. Yeah. Well, you know, so no, they did get a penalty during the race for exceeding track limits. So yeah, they multiple are, times. They are doing it. But it's it, it's almost give them an opportunity to take advantage of something, and guess what? They're going to take advantage of it because if they don't do it, limits, then they're going to try and do it, and they're going to hope they can get away with it. And. You know, you, these guys are the best in the world. You know, don't get me wrong, but you're not telling me they can tell a difference between 
you know, half an inch either side of being in or out track limits, maybe six inches or a foot, but certainly not half, you know, certainly not half an inch or whatever some of these limits are. So I think they really need to look at that and look at, you know, how they affect the driving style. You know, put some of these sausage curbs, you know, two meters beyond the track, you know, where you want your track limits to be. So if you do go that wide, you're, your right-hand side of your car, or if it's a left-hand, you know, if it's a left-hand corner, you've got the runoff there. You know, the right-hand side of the car does hit these curbs and will unsettle you because that'll stop them pretty damn quickly. Um, but yeah, it's it's they really need to to change that for the show because that was disappointing and that was um, unfortunate. Really, it left a little bit of a a, a bit of taste in the mouth post uh, post qualifying there. But uh, but coming into the race. Uh, you know, woke up Sunday morning and uh, it was raining. Uh, you, know, you look on all the satellite and radars and it wasn't meant to, but, you know, sure enough, we had uh, you know, light rain. wasn't anything crazy heavy. Um, half the track was dry, but the, the, the bottom half around start-finish line and into all the way up through the uh, Tamborella Villeneuve chicanes and up into Toza there were, were, were pretty wet. Top half of the circuit was, was, was dry and that's always great when you have that mix, you know, that really sort of unsettles them and it, because it was cool, you know, what was it? The air temperature was at like 12 or 13 degrees Celsius, which is what, mid 50s probably uh, Fahrenheit. You know, it's just not warm enough to, to get that dry line being created quickly. Um, and it didn't. I mean, it took till pretty much half distance to the race before guys were really starting to venture out onto, um, onto slick tyres, even though it hadn't rained for the majority of the race. It was just light drizzle, basically. Um, so at the start of the race, Hamilton started on pole with, with Perez second and Verstappen third. Verstappen made a fantastic start, you know, got ahead of Hamilton going into the first chicane there. A little bit of contact, maybe minor, didn't, you know, a little, knocked a little bit of bodywork off Hamilton's car, but in the grand scheme of things, very, very, very little. Um, and then, uh, you know, we go through that and there was, um, an early safety car there and Mick Schumacher unfortunately span under the safety car trying to keep his tyres warm and knocked his front wing off which was a little bit embarrassing for the guy I'm sure and <laughs> it was funny listening to his race engineer uh, sort of coach him back through the you know through the couple of laps because the pit lane um, pit lane XL pit lane was closed while they recovered the actually Mick Schumacher's uh, front wing which was blocking pit lane exit so they closed the pit lane so he couldn't come back in to, to change the nose straight away. And the, his race engineer was sort of coaching him around. So it's okay, mate, don't worry. I haven't lost any track time. You, know, you just go slow. We'll make it. It, it was quite, uh, <coughs> excuse me, quite interesting listening to that. But um, yeah, you know, they, um, you know, Mick did a pretty solid job. Got some good laps on there, finished the race again. So, you know, you could give him credit there. But um, the, Two things really that sort of came about it was uh, as the track was drying, Hamilton was pushing to try and catch up with Verstappen, which he was doing to a certain extent. And um, going into the toes of hairpin at the top of the track, just basically just lost it, made a mistake, you know, going through some of the backpack. I think it was actually George Russell, who we'll we'll come back to later, um, who maybe just got Hamilton out of his rhythm a little bit and, he ran off and clipped the barriers and, you know, managed to reverse back onto the track and, and come in and change, change his nose, um, which, you know, you helped him uh, that he, he was able to do that. He didn't stall the car, which is he's a lot, it's harder to do these days with the 
hybrid cars because you can almost use the battery pack as a like a starter motor and um you you, you pretty much can't um stall them these days but you know he managed to get the car back out wasn't well, there there was a little true. there was a little controversy over uh whether or not the backing onto the track was 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 safe or I mean, it's yeah, not, I think it's not he, really it's not really against the rules i think that the rules just say you have to make a safe re-entry on the yes. track but there were some folks that that felt like reversing onto the track was not safe although the fia fia didn't make an issue out of it so no so the, there's two things there firstly he can't be pushed back onto the track he could be pushed if he's in a dangerous position and then recover but if he was out of the way like he was there he couldn't have been pushed back onto the track if he'd been you know a few feet off the edge of the track and potentially a dangerous place, then marshals could push him to move him. And then if he got free, he could have recovered. That would have been allowed. Um, and the other thing you can't, well, these are the reversing rule really is you can't reverse in the pit lane. Um, that's a big no no. Just ask, I think it was Nigel Mansell, wasn't it, that got had for that in the 80s, was it, at, in Portugal, late 80s? I think he reversed in the pit lane and uh, yeah, he got disqualified. So yeah, reversing in the pit lane is a no no. But reversing on track, as long as it's safe and you, you're perfectly allowed to do that. I mean, that's why these the cars, by the legality, have to have a reverse gear. So if you have to legally have a reverse gear, you thought you'd be, be allowed to use it, wouldn't you, really? So, um, yeah, Hamilton managed to get that. He dropped Bournemouth back to about 10th, wasn't it, I think? And then, um, well, then there was probably the most controversial or hottest talking point of the race. Um, you know, Bottas in the Mercedes there, just, he'd been off all, I mean, Friday he was okay, but Saturday, Sunday, he was nowhere. Qualified fifth, I think it was. And then uh, after the he start of the race, qualified eighth or so. Eighth, was it? Yeah, I know he, he was qualified MIA well down. all race. It was just bad. No, yeah. About that in a moment. Yeah, and he just couldn't get that rhythm. And it is all about rhythm to these guys. He couldn't get any rhythm. And he, he dropped back to, I think he was outside the top 10 at the start of the race, picked up a couple of spots and was running about eighth or ninth. And then as they went through that sequence of going on to the dry tires. And I think Bottas was the, probably the last driver to go on to the dry tire. So at the point in question um, that we're going to talk about here, he was probably on the coldest set of tires. So... And he was struggling and, you know, cold track temperature, cold air temperature. It's difficult to get, you know, the tires into the um, right operating window. And George Russell was having a great race. You know, he got into Q2, which was a fantastic achievement. Qualified strong. I think qualified 12th or 13th. Um, you know, really, really good showing again. Actually, both Williams got into Q2, which was a fantastic achievement. And, uh, you know, Russell was having a really good, really solid race there. And... Um, yeah, he just got uh, basically going into the first chicane. You know, DRS was open, and you, you, it, you your line for that corner is you you clip the inside left curb just at the start finish line, and then you drift to the right hand side of the track to sweep back to the left for the first corner of the um, Tamburello chicane, and. Russell was that much faster. He actually got alongside Bottas just after that sort of, just at the point where Bottas was starting to drift across the track. Now, Bottas gave him room. There's no doubt about that. Um, There was more than a car's width on the side of the track when Russell lost control. 
Russell probably went a little bit wider than he would have liked and caught his right side tyres on the paint, which in the wet, which was still wet, and was very, very slippery, uh, which caused Russell to lose control, spin left into Bottas and made a real mess. I ended up red flagging the race there. Yeah, it was quite a shunt. It was, pretty, it was, hard. It was a big hit. You know, Valtteri yeah. on the radio was winding. It's not the first time you've heard him like that. You know, it was a big hit. And, uh, you know, again, you know, you've got to give credit to the halo. You look at the damage on Valtteri's halo there, you know, the initial impact, Russell rode up the side of Valtteri's car and, you know, large portions of, of Russell's front left wheel and suspension assembly were probably, you know, uh, you know would have been in the in the driver cockpit area if it wasn't for the halo. So, you know, again, credit where credit's due to that system, you know, made a, um, you know, potentially made a big difference there. But um, immediately post-accident, you know, as all with all drivers, they're blaming each other and finger-pointing, and Russell actually went over and slapped Valtteri around the helmet a little bit there while he was still in his car. And, you know, I can understand Russell's frustration, you know, again, a really good, strong showing there in the race, you know, really competitive and just lost. Yeah, just, you know, lost the, the opportunity to score points again, which is really what, you know, he's looking to do. And of course, you know, he's the Mercedes protege and many people are riding him up for Valtteri's ride. And of course, crashing into Valtteri doesn't exactly go down too well with Mercedes management. Yeah, that's, no. kind, that's kind of where I was... Uh about to go with that you, you want to be real careful going smacking Valtteri around you know for uh, sure but I, I you know a, a Toto, something strange going on with this relationship between Toto and George Russell you know after Russell should have won the Sakir Grand Prix last year when in all fairness Mercedes to put it bluntly screwed up and you know botched his pit stops and <coughs> I mean he had a puncture which wasn't necessarily his fault but you know it was just clumsy you know, Toto was saying, oh, you know, Valtteri needs to cut out the mistakes. Well, Toto, you were the one that cost him the race there by making the mistake yourself. So, you know, that was a little bit. And then this time he comes out and he's very critical of, of George. And, you know, maybe it's one of these tough love scenarios. You know, um, I, I still think Russell has a fantastic future in the sport and is undoubtedly heir apparent to, to Hamilton's sort of British, you know, top British driver thrown, I think. Um, no disrespect to guys like Lando Norris, but I definitely think Russell is, is, is the guy to take that um, that position at the Mercedes team, especially. But flip it around. What happens if, if Russell had backed out and not tried to make that move? There'd be just as many people criticising him for not going for it. I mean, what was it that, you know, the famous quote by Ayrton Senna, which I'm sure is paraphrased in some ways, but he said something along the lines of, if there's a gap there and you don't go for it, you're no longer a racing driver. And it's a little bit extreme, but to a certain extent, it's true. You know, if Russell hadn't gone for that 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 spot, what was he supposed to do? You know, he had DRS. He was 20 miles an hour faster than him. There was an opportunity there. And maybe he made a mistake, but he had to go for it. And I, it was a racing incident. I think that you could argue Valtteri maybe should have given him a little bit more room, knowing that, you know, you're going to push somebody onto the wet side of the track there. <coughs> but yeah, I, I don't like blaming any driver's door there. It was a racing accident. And I think people who are criticising Russell would also be the first people to criticise him if he didn't go for that move. So it's, exactly. and, it's and you know, and you know yeah, he, he might have gotten away with that in drier conditions. 
Oh, in drier conditions. Certainly, certainly, yeah. Straight past him. But again, you know, if it had been a dry race, I don't think Valtteri would have been where he was, and I don't think Russell would have been where he was. So, you know, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it all it all kind of meshes together. So, but yeah, no, I, I think that it was it was harsh, and then, you know, Hamilton ended up driving back through the pack. Um, you know, finishing really strong second. Uh, Norris got on the podium there to finish in a you know fantastic third place, fully deserved. Uh, Charles Leclerc got a P four Ferrari. Um, Alonso got his first point since coming back with Kimi Raikkonen being um, penalised there. And um, yeah, I thought he was, you know, it was a really, really good race on a really good circuit. And, you know, I really do hope they look to try and keep this one on there because it's it's a fantastic track. And, and it's got so much, it's got so much, of the place. exactly. It's got so much history. That's what I was right about to say. And, you know, so. it's like the old, you know, it's almost, it reminds me of like the old Hockenheim and Spa in a way, you know. They have, you know, if the trees could talk, sort of thing, you know, you can just imagine it's a, it's a very eerie place on like a cold February morning with the mist, and it's almost like a scene out of Dracula or something, isn't it? You know, it has that feeling about it. It's not one of these like Tilka domes. It's, it's got character and passion about it. I, I really do hope they keep going there. I hope so too. So now, where are we off to next? Uh, we're off to uh, Algarve, Portugal. Uh, in two weeks, two weeks, right? it'll week. be the first of uh, yeah, second of May, the race weekend. Oh, no, right. uh, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, that would be May. correct. And then it's ninth of May is Spain. So right now, my understanding is that uh, Max and Lewis both each have a first and a second. So yeah, uh, and, and Lewis, Lewis, Lewis has, at the fast. Yeah, yeah Lewis, fastest Lewis got a point for a fastest lap, so he leads. Correct. By one point. By one point. Yeah. By one. Yeah, point. and so yes. you know, this year it's so close that you know it, it it really could come down to single points here or there. And I, I you know, before uh, b- before we move on and before you know, not to sort of hog everybody's time here, but um, I was thinking about this a little bit today. Mercedes and Red Bull are so close this year. Are we going to see a development war between Red Bull and Mercedes? And if you see that, how much will that detract from their 2022 car? So in a way, you know, the guys like McLaren and Alpine and Ferrari, they probably want Mercedes and Red Bull to be, you know, hammering it out and fighting, you know, slugging it out like a heavyweight boxing match throughout the season because, that means they'll be taking up resources to try and concentrate on 2021 and, and win the championship. And it'll give a, you know, these guys who are maybe turning around and saying, okay, look, we're putting, you know, 80, 90% of our resources into 2022 already. And we'll just check a few boxes on 2021 just to go through the motions. Those guys could really get a huge head start on, on next year. And, and, you know, potentially leapfrog or at least get a lot closer to the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull. So, you know, in a way, a close title fight this year could be great for 2022. Right. Especially those guys that are right on the cusp. Uh, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, you look at I mean, look how McLaren. much McLaren. Yeah. Has yeah. Had proved last week. Look how much better Williams is than they are yeah. a year ago or two years ago, you know. And um, the one question sure, that right. I have is right now. A run like Imola come back to buy one team or the other because had Perez not had his mistakes after the red flag, 
Red Bull would be sitting pretty comfortably right now with the with the I almost said manufacturers again. It's the second time this week I almost said it. constructors championship yeah. <laughs> to where like it meant like mistakes like a bad week for both ties and ultimately an overall bad week with Paris outside of qualifying second. Those are the kind of races instances where you want to have all. Imagine if all four were in the mix, instead, oh, or yeah. they would be much much tighter. But it makes me wonder if we will look back to. I know it's round two of a long season in Formula One, but imagine if when it comes down to the very end, looking at Imola and say Mercedes somehow find a way to win it again, and the constructors, you probably look back at Paris's. And mistakes and downfall after the red flag has probably went in the what if statement had and had he not had that thing, would Red Bull be in the mix? Would Red Bull oh. be in, in that like gaining? Yeah, yeah. Sure. undoubtedly. Yeah, the, so. the, the, the the it's this close this year that um, you know you 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 the championships of both drivers and constructors are going to be decided on such fine fine margins that even. You know, you've got a, was it 23 race calendar now? So, it's 22 or 23, depending on the Canadian Grand Prix. Yeah. Well, they're talking about going to Turkey if Canada, if Canada, Canada gets knocked. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> My English is good. Um, yeah. No, if, if, uh, if Canada gets knocked off, then they're talking about going to Turkey. So, they want to try and keep that 23 uh, race calendar. But yeah, you know, you're, yeah. You're talking about, you know, each race is like single digit percentage of the whole overall championship. And, um, you know, it, it, it's so, so close. But, you know, little points here and there. You know, somebody has a DNF, Hamilton or Verstappen has a DNF. Um, I, and I, I truly believe that if the, – because they've never really pushed each other. You know, I mean, Verstappen has never led the championship in his career. So, yeah, he's got close and he's won, what, 11 races now. And, yeah, you know, he's – battle with Hamilton, you know, for the last couple of years, but he's never really had a car that's comparable. You know, I, I, I think we could almost be in, like, the, the scenario we saw in the late 80s where Senna and Prost just almost elevate each other onto a new level. And I feel potentially sorry for guys like Perez and uh, Bottas, who just are the collateral in these two phenomenal drivers just, keep raising their game week after week after week and they're going to leave those guys in the dust I, I really truly believe that we could be in for probably one of the arguably you know a season that, that is compared to something like 88 when you know those guys were so dominant winning what 18 out of 19 races or 17 out of 18 races whatever it was you know I think you could see again this season Hamilton and Verstappen win every race between them or maybe only not win one or two uh, yeah. I think it could be a classic, classic season. Um, it, it, certainly, it certainly can, yeah. Those guys, like if one of those days, if Bottas or Paris have a good day, then teams like Ferrari and McLaren are going to have a real hard time finding podiums. Oh, yeah. You'll feel like Ferrari could be in trouble and the podium streak is concerned because I don't see them getting a podium yet at the moment. Probably not at all this season unless circumstances fall in their favor. Yeah, because- I mean, Leclerc, yeah, you know, for sure. And Leclerc seems to have a grasp of the car in qualifying again, you know, it's what two weeks in a row he's qualified or two races in a row he's qualified in the top four, isn't it? I think. Um, so, you know, he's, he's obviously got the car underneath him. It's not a million miles away. It's obviously a lot more competitive than it was last year. And admittedly, yeah, a couple of those um, podiums that 
that uh, you know Ferrari managed to score last year were a little bit fortuitous for for sure. But um, you know they'll they'll be there or thereabouts. You know maybe they can pick up the odd one or two, but they're not going to be regular podium scorers. You know, basically you've got eighteen guys fighting for one podium position. Yeah. Pretty much. All right, guys, we need to move on so we don't. Uh, Indeed. Because, yeah, we do have uh, all three series to talk about. So <laughs> we we spent 27 minutes on Formula One. So we'll have to pour NASCAR, <laughs> but we talk about them enough. Anyway, so the Indy cars are at Barber Motorsports Park. And um, new winner, Alex Palou from Spain. Uh, young guy, he's uh, cut his teeth in the uh, Super Formula Racing in Japan. His uh, first season in Indy cars was last year. Um, with uh, Dale Coyne, um, caught the eye of Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi put him in the 10 car. Um, Felix Rosegvist moved over to McLaren. Um, and and now this guy's a race winner. Um, the the other star of the show was young Pato Award, who uh, took the pole in his McLaren, his second second pole position in the series, um, and, and kind of led handily. But uh, his... Um, the, the difference in strategy between Palou and uh, Award was the difference there. You know, Palou stretched it out, um, did a two-stop race. Uh, Award opted to do three stops. Um, and the thing is, the, the big thing, the takeaway for me on the difference there is just what a fine job uh, Palou did at uh, managing his tires and his fuel and his car on those longer stints. Um, and, and you could see the way the way things were going for Pato. There was no way he would have been able to uh, manage manage the tires in the car quite as well as Palou did. And, and again, this is you know Palou was in that Ganassi stable there that are pretty much experts at winning championships. You know, as as we saw there at the end of the day, his uh, teammate Scott Dixon joined him on the podium. Uh, Will Power was second. Um, award strategy just backfired on him. Um, Alexander Rossi, who had qualified second, was on the same strategy as award that backfired on him as well. Um, now, as impressed as I was with Palou and award to a large extent, I, one of the things that stick with me is just how underwhelmed I was by some of these guys I expected more from. And I'm mm-hmm. talking Pagano, who's kind of nowhere to be found. Um, New Garden made a uh, nah. made a big mistake. Yeah, took out took bad. out. For, yeah, you wouldn't expect that that type of mistake, that that type of, uh, you know, the what's the, the impatience of that early in the race out of a guy who's a two-time champion, and um, you know, like I said, Rossi was just nowhere. I mean, he was, yeah, he qualified well and he, he ran up near the front, but then the rest of the day he was just kind of, he was there. He wasn't, he wasn't very aggressive. He wasn't. I mean, for a guy who has his sights set on the championship and nothing else this year. I just didn't see that out of him. So now, Louise, what were your some of your takeaways uh, from the racer? I know, uh, I know you're a, you're a pretty big fan of young Alex Palou, are you not? Yeah, like I mentioned, that decision of him going to Ganassi is going to be very like like a steal almost. Because it's not much of a decision to make, is it really? Well, yeah, you go from Felix Rosenquist, who, <laughs> who could be equally as good, but when he went to McLaren. And they found Palou. I saw that was a very good, good get because what we saw with Dale Cohen team go was it's kind of like I mentioned. He came into the states basically a virtual unknown, and then he had those impressive runs at Road America. Sure, some of the finishes were not the greatest, but he showed a lot of promise. And then they put him with Ganassi. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Right out of the gate, he, he was duking it out with the top guys of IndyCar, like with Dixon, his teammate, or even Penske and Andretti. Uh, and just, he, speaking uh, of Andretti. He held, he, held, he held off Will Power at the end there, at the, the final stint. Yeah, he held, on, you know? he held his own real well, and that is going to be very key for his development over time, how he will adapt to those established guys. Like you mentioned, Will Power, he held his own real good compared to O'Ward, who... Like you mentioned, tire management was a gremlin for him in my book. Like at the start, he was not feeling the, the red tires, the red firestones that to his liking. And that kind of did hurt him a bit. And also Palou finding a way to stretch the strategy. And that's the kind of why he became Palou became the third Ganassi driver to win in her debut, joining Michael Andretti and Dan Weldon. And Palou, I mean, an award would have to wait another race to probably get that shot of winning, which could happen this Sunday at St. Petersburg, based on what we saw a year ago. He was right in, he finished on the podium, if I recall. But no doubt, excellent run for Pelot. And honestly, does not surprise me. But I was pretty impressed also with the guys of Roman Groshan and Marcus Erickson both getting mm-hmm. top tens. Like I said last week, for Jim, like a guy like Jimmy Johnson, if he's right up there with Erickson, which was definitely not the case at all for, for Johnson. Maybe we'll see. That would be a good sign, but good run for Erickson. Yeah, Erickson, yeah, Erickson was running right there, I believe, in fourth until I think he stretched his fuel just a bit much at the end there, didn't quite make it all the way around to the line and, and yeah. dropped, dropped four positions. Yeah, he ran out of, he ran out of fuel, but but yeah, but he but he was solid, solidly in the top top five most of the Yeah, he was in he was right not too far behind Dixon and Pelot. He was right up there, like in qualifying practice. He was not that far off, to be honest. Just, of course, he'll learn from that. And of course, had the fuel had all held on a little bit more, maybe he would have had an even stronger result. But for Groshan, what it told me is this is once again, Dale Coyne finding ways, like finding like hidden gems to some extent. Look with Bourdais and Santino and below last year. Now, Groshan, I was mightily impressed how he was able to be right in the mix of probably make, being this close to making it to the fast six. And had it not been for a brief hiccup on pay road, he probably would have finished better than 10. And that's the good thing to going into St. Petersburg and the rest of the season is if he keeps it up, maybe he'll be in the mix for a top 12 championship campaign. I was mightily impressed with what he, they were able to do. And I think... I know a lot of people on social media say, oh, look, wow, I'm impressed. Rick Warecar doing really well. So I forget this. It's a partnership, but Dale Coyne deserves all the much of the credit as well. Just once again, finding these drivers, it kind of shows you how IndyCar can be competitive. But there's more 
parity and variety where the smaller teams could have mighty days or mighty seasons. we got a long ways to go, but if Grosjean keeps it up, the question will be how close will that rookie of the year battle be will be between he and Scott McLaughlin. Beating McLaughlin. Yeah, McLaughlin was, spots, yeah, yeah. McLaughlin was not start. setting the world on fire for sure. I mean, he, he, he did was, all right. He, just he did okay. Yeah. It worked out for him. It'll be curious to see how both of them bow because if it's close, then I, I, people would have expected. Then there'll be some question marks whether or not maybe the, the rumor about him probably trying Gateway will come up exponentially if it's a tight rookie of the year battle between those two. And as far as Johnson, the fortunate thing for him is that he finished. It seems like right now he's trying to build and grow and have fun. But, yeah, he was nowhere near in the picture compared to the trio Ganassi drivers. He was just not. It'll be interesting to see how over time he gets better and better, see how far off he'll be with the trio, notably Ericsson at season's end. Because that will be the good telling of how that 48 team will be with Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't expect Jimmy to set the world on fire in his first uh, race, but I didn't expect him to be quite that far off the pace, you know? Especially, yeah. Especially with all the resources of uh, Ganassi. But but again, you know, historically, uh, the fourth Ganassi car is the throwaway one. So. Yeah, pretty much. But I think by the end of May, if Kanan is nowhere near in the picture, then yeah, we can probably fully claim that, but that would be the mysterious. That's the wild card in my book of that 48 camp is how Kanan will adapt to Texas and especially at Indianapolis. If they're on par, if he's on, if Kanan's on par with the other Ganassi cars with Penske and Andretti, then it's kind of foretelling that it's a lot of more growing for Johnson. If he's nowhere near it, like Johnson is, like where he's battling with basically with Dalton Kellett, pretty much most of what may look like the whole season, then you got to raise some more question marks about that Ford car, like you mentioned. All right, so let's talk about another car we didn't mention. You you mentioned his name briefly, uh, Sebastian Bourdais, um, with now with uh, Sodley as the team leader at AJ Foyt. Um, pretty good day for them, you know. Uh, the Foyt team has been pretty much bottom of the barrel for um, much longer than they should have been. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, Bourdais uh, really you know drove a smart race, got some decent speed out of that car. You know, he wasn't contending for the lead. I do believe he led a lap or two uh, under um, pit stop exchanges, but um, overall an episode good, good. with Pato as well. Yep. Yep. But uh, overall good day for Bourdais and a good day for the Foyt team. No, for sure. That's the, the kind of runs they really need is good that first of all, Bourdais running the whole IndyCar season, because even when he had those few races that he was able to get because of the pandemic canceled most of his lineup, the fact is a, the fact that he had, responded tremendously well from that strong run at St. Petersburg, which kind of shows you that maybe Bourdais still has a lot more on his sleeves than we are give, than people will give him credit for. Because if they look when Bourdais won't join Dale Coyne, they, they, when he left, they pretty much, they were better than better when he joined at first. And now he's probably looking like he might do the same thing for Foyt. But of course, there's a lot of puzzles to be solved in any car race. It's one thing to judge one race, but and talk about if this trend continues, maybe he'll have it. So obviously, but right now, superb run, encouraging for that entire Foyt camp that has gone through a lot over the past year with the pandemic and everything going on. The fact that there's stability and probably good continuity has been instrumental for that camp. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, they they've they haven't won a race since 2013 when Sato Sato won one at Long Beach for them. And so it's been it's been a long, long dry spell without a win for the Fort Camp. And it's uh, gosh, it's been since like 1999 since they got a car capable of contending for the mm. championship. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but but anyway, I you know Bourdais is this interesting character who's it looked like his racing career was over like at least three different times, and he just he just keeps working hard. He keeps coming back, and 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 wherever he tends to end up, it, it tends to elevate the results. I mean, if you recall, he's he's won races with. Um, with KV Racing, you know, they won won races with uh with Coin there. He um he was with uh, what was it, uh, Dragon Sports or Dragon Speed, uh, which is Jay Penske's team for a little while. Had, had a couple of decent runs with them. So uh, I mean, overall, I think Bordet is just that kind of uh, driver that that benefits the whole team. His his feedback. No question, no question about it. I think that. It does. It does help them, and like like I said, it's good to have him full time on the grid because they definitely, if we're point, definitely needed somebody with experience that knows the ins and outs that will elevate the race team because there's so much that a part time cannot, a Charlie Kim or even a Dalton Kelly could do. When you have a full time driver like Bourdais, you're you you expect growth. There's no in between. Right, there's no in between, yeah, and I think uh, <laughs> Foyt's tired of the in between. You know, AJ, he's a, known to be a little grumpy at times, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, uh, and again, it's not looking like a great year for the Penske's again, other than Will Power, who had a really good, solid run. The rest of the Penske team, obviously, we talked about New, New Garden um, race day ended on lap one. McLaughlin was. Just kind of there, you know, getting his feet wet. Pagano was it's kind of midfield. Um, but again, you know, Penske probably had their one of their worst years in a while last year as uh, you know, Dixon dominated. Now Will won a couple races uh late in the year, and I think I think Simon and Joseph each won one last year. But it's uh, you know, not characteristic of the um the Penske team we've seen the last couple of years where they've been banging out championships and any 500 wins. So yeah, fair to um, Joseph one <laughs> had equal amount of wins with Dixon and four, but, but that's, but that's one thing, but yeah, as for willpower is again, having that strong start to the season, like this, you need to get a strong season going because the past couple of years, I think I mentioned in my, my sidebar article on motorsports tribune that, I think since his championship year in 2014, I think he's only got like three podiums in the season opener, including this past Sunday. Those that it kind of shows you that if you're going to be in this championship, you cannot have a mulligan. A guy like Will Power, if he had a mulligan, that's not a good start to the season. It sets them back completely. And then once they finally get the ball going, it's too little, too late because they feel right, like Will right. feels like the stronger. Like, yeah. What was it, 2015? Where they made Will sit out the the opener? Yeah, he had concussion. They, they, well, they thought he had a concussion. But he didn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Concussion, didn't yeah. didn't have a concussion. He had just had concussion type symptoms uh, brought on by it was a, a cold or something, wasn't it? Uh, ear, yeah, infection it, it, or ear infection, something like that. Yeah. So, all right. So we're off to St. Pete um, right away. No, uh, no week off in between. You know, these IndyCar guys, they're they're compact to schedule. Once they get going, they race, they race, they race. 
So uh, St. Pete, um, you know, one of the one of the great street courses uh, um, on the IndyCar schedule has served as a season opener uh, for for a number of years. Um, this year, they they you know moved the date around a little bit just to make sure that uh, the pandemic pandemic numbers would be down in in Florida, give it a little a little extra time. I think this race is generally in mid March uh, by putting by putting into late April. They give an extra month there for vaccinations and whatnot and to get approvals from the city. And so everything is set, good to go. The track is built. They've had the show car all around the town of St. Pete. The um, teams will be arriving uh, this weekend um, for another great race at St. Pete. And uh, so Louise, who do you like for St. Pete? I feel like it's going to be a good bounce back race for Joseph Newgarden. I he's won twice. He won the last time, but I'd be curious to see how Alexander Rossi does. If you look a year ago outside of New Garden, it seems like that was Rossi's race until the whole circumstances went down. So I feel like Rossi would be a good pick to win the race. And that would be also a good test to see how Bourdais with Foyt will respond. I will not sleep on him of probably getting a, a top five afternoon. If seeing Sport out, like look back at 2018 when he drove for coin, he may steal one here, which will be, Oh, a huge deal for them going into the month. Say, yeah, Bordet's stolen a couple there at St. Pete, hasn't he? Yeah, like what happened? One that, like, one that one went. It was the Rossi and Wickens tangled. Yeah, the one that Wickens pretty much could should have won that debut race. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Well, I uh, I also like Alexander Rossi for this race. I think that uh, you know, I again, I thought he was highly underwhelming in Barbara, and I'm not quite sure why. I really haven't read a lot of his comments but uh it got uh, he, underwhelming after like the first pit stop when he couldn't beat a ward yeah it, it yeah. got pretty relatively close at one point at the start of the race yeah but i but i like rossi for the stress also i also like award I, I mean i think this uh this mclaren team is the real deal you know i, I think award does have a few things to learn yet um but uh, I mean, he's with a great organization, so I think you got to watch out for him too. Now, Richard, what do you think? Uh, I would have picked. I was going to pick a ward as well. Um, you know, I thought he drove well at um, Barber. There, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know what, why he couldn't get those, um, you know, soft firestones in the groove, as it were, on that first stint. Was that you know, casted it? Was that his driving style? What you know, what caused that? Um, but you know, I think I think he's he's the real deal. Like you know, he really is, and um, it'll be interesting to you know to see how he goes. If it was just a, a flash in the pan, which I genuinely don't think it was. No, I don't think you know? I don't think he's I don't think I don't think from the end of the season they'll be in championship contention. But I think they'll certainly you know nick the odd win here or there. And well, no, I see nick the win. You know, actually get it on merit, you know, win races on merit there. And um, I, I think give it give it another year or two. And if, if McLaren as a team can stay stable with in terms of personnel and driver lineup, I think they've got a really good driver lineup right now. And I know they've talked even about potentially adding a third car to the mix there. Um, you know, I, I really think that they could be contenders in a few years, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, a Ward doesn't get the job done this weekend. If he doesn't, um, you know, another young kid, you know, Colton Herter, why not? You know, I, 
I still personally think the jury's out a little bit on him. Uh, you know, I know, I know, Frank, you read him very highly, don't you? But I'm not maybe as convinced right now, but it'll be uh, interesting to see what he can do. Well, I think he's he's very consistent. He's one of these drivers that when he's on, he's on. You know, when when he's on, he's unbeatable. But there, but there are there are other days where you know he's he, he's like a little bit like he's a bit like Rossi in that respect. Yeah, and that's that doesn't win you championships, unfortunately, does it? You know, you look at look at Dixon; he's perfect. You know, he is he's like the minimal risk. You know, he's almost like the Jackie Stewart, isn't he, of IndyCar racing? You know, modern day. You know, yeah, if, or, if he um, has to Al- win. Alan Prost is another guy I like to compare Dixon yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if he has to win, if he has to finish seventh or above to win the championship, he'll finish sixth or seventh. You know, he does what he has to do and won't take any risks. And you know, he's got he's, he's got his eye on the prize rather than his ego and records or anything like that. And you know, you 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 you, you take care of what you need to do in that specific moment in time, and the championships and the wins and the records come with that mentality. Yeah, and you can just look at Scott Dixon's record to uh, attest to that. So. Um, yep. The interesting thing you talk about, we talk about McLaren potentially adding a third car. Now we do know that they are running three cars at Indianapolis, and they're bringing uh, Juan Montoya in. And I think that's going to be, uh, you know, for both Award and Felix Rosenqvist to an extent. I think that's going to be a really great experience for them to work with a guy of Montoya's oh, yeah. caliber for for the month of May. Again, like I said, um, you know, Ward I believe has some learning to do, uh, you know, his teammate last year was also another rookie Al- Oliver Askew. Um, now Rosenquist got a little more racing experience on it, but not, you know, not too many. He's only got two years in IndyCar. Uh, but, but I th- bring a guy like Montoya in there who can drive anything and win in anything. Um, and Montoya also has the ability to walk away from something for a number of years sure. and, and, and then walk right back in and, and, and win again. I, I think that's going to benefit the, the whole team highly. Um, oh, sure. and, and, and as, they, they got it for the whole, a, the whole month. Yeah. Yeah. And as Alonso showed, you know, to a certain extent, you know, the Indy 500 as well, probably more so than any, you know, maybe Monaco you'd put in the same, uh, you know, breath. You, you can't just go there and be quick you've got to go there and learn the place and learn the subtleties and the nuances of the track and the racecraft at a place like Indianapolis is completely different to any super speedway, any road course, any, any street circuit, you know, it, it's a unique place. And to have somebody who's won there and, and, you know, can give that experience. And, you know, you say to the guys like award, you know, and, and, and Rose, you're following for 10 laps, you know, go out there, you know, follow him, learn his lines, learn what he does as the tires drop off, do all of these sort of things. And I think that's an invaluable uh, tool for those, for that, for that team. The, the interesting thing about Montoya's two um, Indy 500 wins are they're, they're very different than, to one another. I mean, in the first win uh, back in 2000, he, he pretty much dominated the race. I believe, you know, I believe he started second or third. I think he started, I think he started middle of the front row pretty much dominated the race, uh, you know, uh, perfect pit stops all day long. It, you know, led the most laps, but then his second win in 2015, if you recall, he dropped all the way to the back early in the race when he, he got uh, a little, little tangled up with somebody else's incident and broke off the, uh, the rear bumper pod 
had to come in and have that yeah, yeah. play. So then he had to spend the rest of that 500 miles, you know, you know, far from just giving up saying, oh, our, our race is over. You know, he was able to make up all that time and, and, you know, get to the front and battle his teammate, Will Power for the win. So, so here, here's a guy who's pretty much done it all. And, and the guy only has six Indy 500 starts. Yeah, <laughs> and aside from a last good. place finish the year after he won, he's been he has a strong average finish, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. that's a three hundred. That's a three hundred hit ratio. That's pretty damn good, isn't it? Really, not bad at all. Not bad at you all. So, well, it, all right, it'll be it'll be fun to watch the Indy cars at St. Pete again. That's always one of my favorite races. Uh, beautiful little street course. Uh, they have neat parties down there. They call it the world's largest spring break, although. Where it's it's a little later than spring break this year. It's closer to <laughs> closer to uh, exam time before before yeah. the end of the school yeah, year. Graduation, but, formal parties, and all uh, that. Yeah, those college kids do the prom, right? I, <laughs> so I don't know about proms in this pandemic era. I'm pretty sure maybe Florida and Texas will have some. I don't know. But the prom game ended eight years ago when I graduated. So why would I know? <laughs> well, the prom game ended for me back in the, it was in the 1980s. <laughs> so, uh, Alan, uh, yes, Ario Speedwagon days. Yes, yes, yes. Ario Speedwagon was on the charts, right? Um, so anyway, so uh, NASCAR down in Richmond, we had a pretty good race down there. Alex Bowman um, snuck in the win at the end there in a the final restart. But it was uh, Logano and Truex were making the most noise up front um, earlier on. And Hamlin. And Hamlin. Yes, you're right. I forgot about Hamlin. I just tend to. Hamlin's always an afterthought for me. I don't know why. It just. <laughs> but the guy who oh, led the most up all these season. top fives without a win. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah. Have I mean, like, what, an 80 point lead already in the regular standings? Yeah, he said we figured out how to finish third. So. <laughs> Right, so no, what, I don't blame you there because he's just quietly get those top three finishes, especially when I do those podium finishes, race reports. It's like, oh, Hamlin got top three. Just flew under the radar and got a top three. He's kind of like a Matt Kenseth 2003 season almost. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so well, what were your thoughts about the Richmond race? Here's, again, it's traditionally been a night race in the past. This was a day race, so. The spring race has typically been a day race for the past several years. From what I was able to see, because with the IndyCar race going on at the same time, of course, the IndyCar race takes priority in that regard. But what I was able to see, it seems like everything was mellowed out and calm, unlike the truck race in the, in the final stage where everything, well, there were wrecks left and right and all that. John Hunter Nemechek won that truck race, by the way. But for the cup race, it seemed to be calm. And then Alex Bowman just showed up from out of nowhere and he was able to Truck his muscle his way through Logano, Hamlin, and Truex, and was able to pull this win, which was a, which was a good surprise for honestly the competition. Because sometimes, if you're in the right spot, depending on circumstances, you and you deliver most more often than not, you'll be able to pull off the win. That's just how this car and this how things work these days in NASCAR. So it was a calm race. I know some people didn't like it. But I just did in the fact that it let itself play out close to natural in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like you say, yeah, it played out naturally. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Richard, what are your thoughts on Richmond here? I, you know, as you say, you know, Alex Bowman, he, he nicked one there a little bit, you know, he flew under the radar a little bit. And 
you've got to be what are we now eight races into the season maybe ten I've lost track already but you know if you're you know guys like Denny Hamlin you'd be getting a little bit concerned you know you've got Talladega coming up next weekend which is a eh, whatever and yeah who knows uh, you know they must be looking at the bigger pictures thinking yeah we need to win one of these now guys come on let's, let's get it done um, so yeah it's, it's difficult to uh, difficult to say really yeah, you've got like I said, Hamlin, Kyle Busch hasn't won a race yet. Keselowski, uh, you got a lot of Chase, uh, Chase Elliott hasn't won a race yet, has he? Uh, no, uh, has he not? No, no, I don't believe he has. So you got a lot of a lot of potential winners out there. And again, like I said, Talladega coming up, which is a crapshoot. We could have, you know, we could have Cody Ware win Talladega for all we know. So, and speaking of Talladega, no. So now, Louise, did you hear this? Um, Story about uh, Jennifer Jo Cobb, who's been running trucks for the last uh, several years, um, was going to make her cup debut at Talladega, and then NASCAR decided to disallow her entry. Louise? Oh, I, I, I was, yeah, I've heard about it, and you brought up Cody Ware winning. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, didn't mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to just just blow your mind like that. So. Yeah, let's not. Yeah, I don't want that. I, I don't, I don't, I cannot imagine that vision. Uh, Harrison Burton will, will be making his debut by himself. Of course, you mentioned Jennifer Joka. Yes, I certainly have. I found out like literally everybody else. Honestly, what they saw is based on quality of perform- performance. It had nothing to do with the Richmond race that I was referring about, where she and Nor Banding had a little beef going on in turns three and four. It had nothing to do with that. It's just based on experience. But it did turn out that Jennifer Joe Cobb was eligible to run Cup back in 2015. But it's just a very fine line where the rules are what they are. But then people are bringing up, oh, why well, this, can't he run? This but why is, Derek Cope or why Quinn Half? Right. I think, but or, but like, isn't it isn't it like a, a peer review process? Don't like the drivers have to vote. I remember this like it was was the last year they disallowed uh, James Davison to make a debut at Talladega, and instead he made his debut at Pocono. Yeah, is, Talladega is that, is that, and also the Daytona Five Hundred. He was thinking of running, but that didn't work. Uh, I think it's more or less of a. Yep, I'd imagine it down to a peer review driver council, but they were they judge on the quality of the performance because I think what like eleven times she's ever finished on the lead lap and trucks out of what two hundred and ten starts. Yeah, that's, that's not great, is it? It's not a good batting average. Understandably, she's driving her own equipment, not the best equipment in the world either. But they look on a lot of sync. I think it's safe to say if you want to make your cup debut, you must do it anywhere but the plate tracks. Because then maybe they'll be more kind of letting you run after you make a debut elsewhere. Whereas Harrison Burden's Cup debut is at Talladega, but the diff- I think the difference is that Harrison has been a proven winner in Xfinity. Look at last year. He won, what, like three or four times as a rookie. I think it's more of a comfort level in how competitive you are in the lower series. Harrison has proven that more so in Xfinity than in trucks because the trucks he wasn't oh, able to win in a KBM truck. They're in a different league. Yeah, like like I said, but but the the rule itself is the eligibility rule is not clear. You know what I mean? It's not set in stone that says you have to have, you know, X amount of races on this kind of track, X amount of races here, or X amount of finishes, which of course leads to the perception of maybe this is sexism in play, right? Which some people are alluding to, which in my mind, if you my mind, if you think about it. 
that would be the last thing NASCAR wants to do because NASCAR has, you know, if nothing else, have tried to embrace diversity as much as they can lately. So I really wouldn't say that this this you know call is sexist, but it does, you know, with without a clear cut rule or reason, it does open it up to that interpretation by some folks who would want to play that card. That's just finding something for the sake of finding it, isn't it, really? I don't think there's anything in well, there. Yeah. The no, day, I don't think it's sexist at all. Especially when you go to a plate track, like you know, Daytona and Talladega, it is going to be... You know, the, the, the ramifications of a mistake there are amplified. You know, massively. If you make a mistake at Bristol or Martinsville, you can have a bruised ego at most. If you make a mistake at Talladega in the pack, you can you put you know you're 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 playing with people's lives you know in in effect here. So to earn the right to race a cup car at a plate track is is no given, and it shouldn't be. It really genuinely shouldn't be. Uh, there's a reason why. You know, experienced NASCAR veterans who have been doing this 20, 30, you know, 20 years plus sit at the back of the pack and drive around and keep out the way of, you know, some of the lesser experienced drivers because they know what can happen in a blink of an eye. And uh, it's just not worth it. So I think it's very, very unfortunate. And, you know, I'm sure she would have been okay there, but you just cannot take the risk. Imagine if God forbid something had happened. And you know, NASCAR would be, would be they'd be the first people that people would point the fingers at and say, "Well, look, you know, you guys, you guys allowed it." So, um, you know, this is very, very, very fine line, and they've got to draw a limit somewhere, unfortunately. All right, yeah, good, well put, well put. Well, we are just about at our time limit, so I guess we need to probably pick a winner for Talladega, which is always, like I said, just throw some names in a hat. Um, now I'm not really going to pick Cody Ware. I was joking with that, but I will, I will go with Brad Keselowski. Who's great. Got a great track record at Talladega. Uh, when he's managed to avoid the big one, he's, uh, he's been up at the front. He's won there several times. So I'm going to go with Keselowski. I'm going to go with Chase Elliott in this one with the dark horse driver to keep an eye on being Corey LaJoy and even Harrison Burton. He's got standards to live up to considering what Austin was able to do in the 500. Albeit it was a Penske car, but gone brothers. They had a good showing in the qualifying races, but just going to make the field by just mere inches with tied Dylan. Now is Austin running Talladega? Cindric is not running Talladega. Okay. All right. Now, Richard, who do you like for Talladega? I guess you can't pay Austin Cindric cause he's not running. Yeah. No, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, no. um, you don't want to pick one of the Matt Di Benedetto. There's a guy that needs a win, Matt Di Benedetto. Yeah, I he's, like. He's going to like boil a little pick. bit this year, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to boil a little bit. Richmond, but I, imagine a win will do them any one. It's not just for Di Benedetto, who's trying to find a ride at 2022, but also give the Wood Brothers that elusive 100 win. Especially, there you go. Yep. yeah, yeah. They, they've been chasing that for a while. Yeah, but I think a Matt Di Benedetto win would make a lot of folks smile. I really do. I, he's just a good dude. Mm-hmm. It'll and, be a uh, sentimental win for the team as well, because I think what was it Beatrice Wood passed away not that long ago as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, we are out of time. So I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And I want to thank you, Louise. And thank you, Richard. Most of all, I want to thank you folks that listen to us every week. Uh, but until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.